Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I wanted to get to this story yesterday, but I couldn't because of all the breaking news between Tucker Carlson being out at Fox and Don Lemon being out at CNN. I, I want to talk about this. Do you remember, now I'm dating myself for some, um, back in the late 80s, the early 90s, there was a reading program called Hooked on Phonics, and the ads were all, Hooked on Phonics worked for me. I did not actually even realize that phonics was controversial. Now, phonics, for those of you who don't remember, is the sounds of letters. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. That's the French alphabet. Um, and when you learn the French alphabet and those word combinations together there, you can begin to start pronouncing different words in French. The same works with English, A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes Y. Those are the vowels. Uh, the hard, uh, is A, E, I. The soft is A, E, E. You put these letters together, you begin to start pronouncing words. Now, sometimes English is a very difficult language. There is not there is not there. My daughter was learning syllables. Now, this is we live in the South, y'all. Those of you up in in Connecticut, you're going to have to apologize. I'm going to apologize to you. We live in the South. And my daughter was learning how to count out sounds or count out syllables. Phonics, hamburger. My kid was convinced that the word there, because she's from the South, had three syllables. They are, they are. <laughs> like, no, it's one syllable. There. But in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, you know, this is the problem with our education society is that what works, suddenly someone decides it doesn't work. Someone in academia with a EDD, doctorate of education, decides they know better and they take charge and they throw out what worked. For a very long time in this country, if you wanted to learn to read the English language, you learned the sounds. You learned phonics. And then in the late 70s and into the 80s, the whole word method took over. And you had to memorize words. And with the words, they drew pictures, and you had to know what the picture was. So you would see the word dog, and over it there would be a dog, and you knew that word, D-O-G, was dog because there was a dog over it unless you had dyslexia, and then you wondered why there was a dog in there for God. 
when you learned the sounds of the words, you could take a word you had never seen before and you could sound it out. The TH makes the th sound. R, and you know the OW sound makes an O sound, like snow, like grow. So you knew it's thro throw. You could sound it out. The OW, the OE, and the OA combinations make a hard O sound. So you get boat, tow, throw, snow, grow. Two E's together make a hard E sound. So meet and greet. The EA sound, with some exceptions, makes a hard E sound. So a C and a meat, different type of meat, and a beat. But then you have the exceptions. You have the EA sound that make the A sound great. But you learn the exceptions with the rule, and you learn how to read. And you could plow through books, and you could take a kindergartner and a first grader and teach them these sounds, teach them the phonics combinations, and they could read. What the whole word people decided was that, yes, they can read, but they don't know what the words mean. That's true. But they could begin, as they had conversations as well, learning the context of words. So first you teach them how to sound out the words, and then you begin to teach them context. And, and the whole word people turned it upside down and said, no, 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 we got to teach them all the words. we got to teach them to memorize the words, and we got to teach them the context in the words, and they complicated the subject. And you know what has happened in this country? Literacy rates have plummeted. Literacy rates in this country have collapsed in the last 30 years as the whole word approach took over. And a lot of parents in the 1990s, as the collapse of, of reading became a thing, started buying hooked on phonics for their kids. And at home, they were teaching their kids phonics. Now, this one is very personable, personal to me. When I was a kid, I struggled with reading struggled hard with reading. And I went to school in the Middle East, to a very good school, and they divided kids up based on the standardized test score. So we took the, it was the Stanford Achievement Test at the, at the time, not the SAT that you know for college, but the SAT, the Stanford Achievement Test. Uh, and we took that every year. It was the standardized test. My kids are going through standardized testing this week at school. And kids were placed based on their scores. So the kids who were doing bad in math, for example, were placed in a small math class. The kids who were doing exceedingly well were placed in a small math class. And then the majority of the kids were placed in a larger math class with a teacher who could kind of cater everyone. And every year it was reassessed and the kids were moved around and the same thing happened in the English classes. And I had terrible not just reading comprehension, but reading, just reading abilities when I was in first and second grade. And I was put into the very small remedial class, and there were 10 of us. And it was also hard because I was in an international school, and there were kids who grew up in English uh, classes. I mean, for example, like to this day, uh, the last letter of the English alphabet is Z. It is not Z. I have to remind myself that Americans say Z because my teacher was British, and it was Z. 
For a very long time, I spelled airplane, A-E-R-O-P-L-A-N-E, aeroplane. Mum instead of mom. Tomato instead of tomato in pronunciation. Went to a school. It was an American school. Had a British teacher. Did stuff with your mind. But she was a phonics teacher. And we learned those letter combinations over and over and over and over and over. And by the time I was in third grade, I had moved from literally the dumb kids class to the smart kids class and just accelerated. In third grade, I had a teacher. Her name was Helen Bruscus. She was Greek, fiery Greek temper. Loved her, loved her. She was so mean, and I loved her. And Miss Bruscus required that we write. She did not care what we wrote about, but we had to write every single day we had to write. And I would not have been able to do that, but for in second grade, having this teacher in this very small class of 10 kids get rid of the whole word approach and just say, I'm teaching phonics. And every kid who came out of her class accelerated at reading. And the kids who were all on the whole words approach that some of the other classes used, because they used both approaches at the school, they would fall behind. And then they would get the remedial phonics teaching and catch up. I've been a big believer in phonics since I myself in my life experienced it. And by the time I was in third grade, I could read high school books and was writing in complete sentences with good grammar for my mean third grade Greek teacher who is the woman who turned me into a writer. I probably would not be the writer I am today, but for Ms. Bruskus. But it was all because of phonics. So I, I, I gave you this long dissertation and you're like, Erickson, why, why are you talking about this? Phonics is making a huge comeback. The New York Times today is running a story, uh, that, and it's actually from last week. I wasn't here to talk about it, but uh, civil rights leaders are realizing that black children are falling behind in schools that use the whole word approach. And they need, they need phonics. If you can teach a child to read, you have taught your child lifelong skills. If you can't teach your child to read, your child is going to be behind for the rest of their life. Kids need to read. And it's kudos to the New York Times, which in the 1980s was a big proponent of whole word English, where you memorize the words, not the sounds. The New York Times in the 1980s was a huge proponent of rejecting phonics as outmoded, archaic. Uh, And what we're finding more and more these days in education is a lot of the things that worked for 100 years, they worked. It was the democracy of the dead that picked them. You know, the the Chesterton concept of uh, we go through trial and error in life and we settle over time on the things that work. And that is in part the democracy of the dead. The people who came before us decided how the future would operate by choosing through trial and error the things that work. They chose through trial and error the two-parent nuclear household as the best and stable way to raise children. They chose through trial and error the idea of phonics, memorize the sounds, and you can read anything. Part of the problem we're dealing with in the country is not just phonics, but also with math, this uh, common core math approach. You know, my kids went to our church's school for, for a while. It was a good school. 
but they use Common Core math, and Common Core math disassociates a parent's ability to teach their kids uh, from their kids' education because Common Core math teaches kids that traditional math is called grandma math. They make it pejorative. Your parents don't understand the way to teach Common Core math, so they have to rely on the teachers. they got to rely on the government schools or, or the private school teachers to be able to teach them as opposed to the old, core, old school math where you memorized your multiplication tables in third grade and you sang the songs like I did in Mrs. Russ's class. Two times one is two done. Uh, two times two is four done. Uh, two times three is six done. Uh, and you make your way through the, 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 the nine times ten is ninety. You do that over several weeks. You memorize your multiplication tables and you're off to division. No, no, no. Not with Common Core. It's way more complex and you can't teach your kid Common Core math. They have separated you from the ability to teach your kids. And that's the other problem here is with phonics, you can help your child with reading and with whole word English, it becomes more difficult. The education system in the 1980s and the 1990s and even now with Common Core was largely designed to separate you from the ability to help teach your children to make your children dependent on others. And civil rights leaders are now starting to scream about it. Black leaders in this country are starting to say we have two generations of illiterate children in the black community because the whole word approach failed us. And thankfully, 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 the nation's educators are starting to listen to the civil rights movement. And they're right, by the way. They really are right on this. You must teach your children to read. Forget math. For, forget science. Forget social studies and forget history. If your child can read, they can access a world of knowledge on their own over time. If your child cannot read, they can do nothing and will be dependent on government for the rest of their lives. And so kudos to the NAACP, to the civil rights movement, to so many groups out there finally saying we must go back to phonics. Yes, you must go back to phonics. We must have a literate nation. And the whole word approach is failing. Well... President Trump has released a statement on his social media company saying he will not uh, participate in the Republican presidential debates. Quote, I see that everybody's talking about the Republican debates, but nobody got my approval or the approval of the Trump campaign before announcing them. When you're leading by seemingly insurmountable numbers and you have hostile networks with angry Trump and MAGA hating anchors asking the questions, why subject yourself to being libeled and abused? Also, the second debate is being held at the Reagan Library, the chairman of which is amazingly Fred Ryan, publisher of the Washington Post. No exclamation point. Um, okay. There we go. So Rona McDaniel, who is Donald Trump's pick to be chairman of the RNC, oversees the debates and picks the moderators for the debates. Uh, picks the location of the debates and now throwing her under the bus, uh, throwing the debates under the bus. He doesn't really need a debate. I mean, you either like him or not. It doesn't matter what he says. I mean, his supporters will give him a large pass in the process anyway. So might as well not waste his time debating, but let the others on stage debate. And they might actually be able to get a word in edgewise anyway and have a, have an interesting one. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, we will see. We'll see where that goes. Now, we got to move on to other stuff. My buddy Chip Roy, member of Congress from Texas, has pinned an op-ed about the debt ceiling talks. I want to I, I spend time on that when we come back. 
I also want to take your phone calls at 877-973-7425. Uh, the debt ceiling fight is heating up. Joe Biden is already threatening to veto a Republican debt ceiling plan, assuming it could make it through Congress. And I don't know that it could make it through the United States Senate. Uh, if he does do that, it will throw us into more economic turmoil. Joe Biden is insisting on a clean debt ceiling increase. Now, I happen to have talked to several Democrats I know who work for Joe Biden. And I have talked to several Republicans who work for Kevin McCarthy, who I know. I want to tell you what these Democrats and these Republicans both agree on. And it all has to do with getting in the room. So stick around for that and your phone calls. Right now, i got to tell you about with all the economic turmoil out there, if you are thinking at all of using precious metals in your portfolio, you should consider Advantage Gold. Uh, 800-450-2566 is their number. we got inflation. we got the stock market. we got geopolitical turmoil. You don't have to sit hopelessly by and watch it all unfold. Thousands of retirees are safeguarding their retirements with physical precious metals like gold and silver in their IRAs, their 401ks. You can even use your general investment strategies with Advantage Gold. They are TrustLink's number one highest rated gold company seven years in a row. They got the best prices, the best staff. They got a fantastic IRA department and will give you a free gold IRA investment kit that tells you everything you need to know to comply with the rules for using precious metals in your portfolio. Call them at 800-450-2566 today. That is 800-450-2566. Their gimmick is that they don't have any gimmicks. They just play it straight. They answer all your questions, give you the information you need so you can make up your own mind how you want to proceed. 800-450-2566. Call Advantage Gold. See if they are a good fit for you and your investment strategy. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. There is some breaking news I've got to get to before I get into the debt ceiling stuff. Uh, there are reports now circulating that Donald Trump is going to try to pressure the Florida legislature to kill legislation that would make it explicitly clear Ron DeSantis does not have to uh, resign to run for president. Uh, under Florida law, uh, Georgia has a very similar law. That if you want to, while serving in office, run for a different office whose terms overlap, you must resign the current office to run for the next office. Now, I've been told by a couple of lawyers in Florida, the Florida law only applies to state offices, not to federal offices, and that there's precedent for continuing to serve in a state office while running for um, a federal office. I don't know. the actual, I haven't read the law myself. I don't know. Uh, but there is a piece of legislation pending in a committee in, in the Florida legislature that would clarify this doesn't apply to federal um, federal offices. Uh, DeSantis is pushing it behind the scenes. Trump, uh, according to several different people, is planning on appealing directly to the Florida legislature to block that. Uh, what is he scared of? Why is he scared of DeSantis running? Uh, just let him run. You, you, you're beating him. You're telling tell everybody he's running a bad campaign. So... Let him get in the race. Why be so scared of him? I, I, that one baffles me. Seems like silly politics. Now, uh, phone call here. Let's go to Jim. You're up next. Welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. How are you today? Good. How are you? Good. Well, you hit a nerve while I was driving. Uh, when I was born, uh, my mother gave me to my grandmother. And she raised me. She only had a sixth grade education, extremely poor. She taught me, she told me that if I could read, 
could accomplish anything. And I managed to educate myself. I have a master's degree. I'm getting ready to retire from my employer after 35 years. And people really don't realize how important reading is. If you can read, you can learn math, you can do anything. And two years ago, I learned what my grandmother's name meant in a Sunday school lesson that I read. Her name was Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank, thank you, Jim, and and congrats on on your headed to retirement. I don't ever plan to do that. Uh, I'm going to be behind this microphone for life. But good for you. And yeah, I mean, reading opens so many doors. Reading opens an incredible amount of doors. If you can't read, you really can't do anything in life. And it is really commendable that so many civil rights organizations are coming forward talking about how we failed kids. Um, Now, let's move to the debt ceiling. I realize it can kind of be a boring topic, but I've been talking to people. My buddy Chip Roy has has written this. um, As this is in The Federalist, as the nation, as the national media helped President Biden whip Americans into a frenzy with claims of defaulting on our debt that can result only from a self-fulfilling prophecy, House Republicans are presented with a choice. Will we cave to the president, Wall Street, massive corporations, swamp lobbyists, and the corporate media to continue America's borrow and spend death spiral? Or will we instead take the opportunity to stand up for the American people to demand their leaders stop irresponsible spending money we do not have? In his 1801 inaugural address, Thomas Jefferson identified certain blessings that he found necessary to make us a happy and prosperous people. Among them was a wise and frugal government which shall restrain men from injuring one another, shall leave them otherwise free to regulate their own pursuits of industry and improvement, and shall not take from the mouth of labor the bread it has earned. The elected officials that have plunged the nation into nearly $32 trillion in debt to fund destructive, woke federal programs and endless wars, fueling record inflation of the process, exemplify the antithesis of wisdom and frugality. Federal agencies originally established to restrain men from injuring one another are instead weaponized against the American people. Unelected bureaucrats now regulate every aspect of industry and improvement to the detriment of freedom and prosperity, and we fund every last bit of it with taxpayer dollars and more government debt. The proverbial bread labor has earned. Our choice then is clear. While Biden and congressional Democrats fiddle, House Republicans must exhibit common sense leadership to end the federal spending spree that's harming families with debt and costly inflation. That's Chip Roy writing in The Federalist. It goes on from there. But let me tell you what I'm being told by Democrats and Republicans alike in Washington. The Republican ask is to get Kevin McCarthy face-to-face with Joe Biden. The Democrats' fear is to get Kevin McCarthy in a room face-to-face with Joe Biden. Why? The Democrats are concerned that if Biden gets into a room with McCarthy, Biden will agree to cuts because he will want to seem reasonable and Democrats concede cuts are reasonable. 
given the amount of money we are in debt, $32 trillion, cuts are reasonable. Even as the Democrats may want tax increases or fee increases or, or, or something to go along with it, cuts are reasonable. But the Democrats argue, and at least understand their position, even if you and I disagree with it, the Democrats argue that we can't, they cannot get into a habit of and cannot set the precedent for continual negotiation over a debt ceiling increase that the debt ceiling increase needs to be a clean debt ceiling increase. Now, by that, what they mean by a clean debt ceiling increase, that's the the poll-tested branding here. It's not really a clean increase. What it is is just an increase with no corresponding cuts of anything. So they want to increase the debt without any offsets of any kind, and they believe it would be a dangerous precedent for Joe Biden to negotiate cuts. That's what Barack Obama did, and progressives despised Barack Obama's idea of sequestration. You know, conservatives badly uh, misunderstood sequestration back in 2011. I had several friends of mine, in fact, I had to explain it to Rush Limbaugh, who, who was one of the very few to then get it right. A lot of conservative radio show hosts were saying, as is the habit in Washington, D.C., you're not actually cutting real spending. You're cutting the future growth of spending. That's typically what happens with balanced budgets and things like that is that Republicans and Democrats come together and they don't actually cut anything. What they do is they reduce the amount of future spending and call that a cut. They're still increasing the spending, just not as much. What sequestration did in 2011 was actual real cuts, like real-time, then-in-the-moment then cuts. It was not a future cut to growth. It was a cut to the existing budget. It mattered greatly. It impacted defense. It impacted uh, social benefits. It impacted education. It impacted everything because everything across the board, including our defense spending, was required under sequestration to have actual real cuts in the moment, not future, future reductions in growth but actual real cuts. And it was a good thing. And progressives despised it. Progressives to this day lament that Barack Obama caved. And they don't really blame Barack Obama so much as they blame Republicans they blame Republicans for essentially being willing to, as hostage takers, willing to shoot the hostages. Yes, shoot the hostages. I think you have to in these situations. They're metaphorical hostages anyway. It's not real human beings. So shoot them. Shoot the hostages. This idea of a clean debt ceiling increase, blow it up. And that's the Democrats' concern. You talk to Democrats, and Democrats are really, really panicked at the idea that Joe Biden will get into a room with the Republicans because Biden, at the end of the day, understands we have to raise the debt ceiling. And if Biden gets in the room with Kevin McCarthy, he will realize that McCarthy is serious. McCarthy does not have the votes for a just plain old debt ceiling increase without any cuts. Democrats have been selling themselves this mythology, this fable, that the Republicans would, the moderate Republicans in the House, the Main Street Partnership Republicans, they would raise the debt ceiling without any cuts. That they're moderates, they're reasonable, they're not the crazy House Freedom Caucus, they're not even the conservative Republican Study Committee. These are the moderate to liberal Republicans, of course they'll do a clean debt ceiling increase. And these guys are saying, Mr. President, we're not going to. 
We're not going to do a clean debt ceiling increase. We want you to make cuts. We have proposed cuts. Here are our cuts. If you don't like them, cut something else. And the Democrats are fearful Biden will take the bait. Fearful for several reasons. One, Biden remembers sequestration, and he doesn't want to be boxed into that point. Two, it's perfectly reasonable, given the fiscal situation of the country, that cuts be made. Three, Joe Biden himself has long recognized a large national debt is a threat to our national security. So you take those three points, you get Biden in a room with Kevin McCarthy, and Kevin McCarthy makes the point, Mr. President, we literally do not have any votes in the House of Representatives to raise the debt ceiling without cuts on the Republican side, and you cannot get it with just Democratic votes. Biden's going to realize he's got to cut a deal. The House Democrats and the Senate Democrats do not want Joe Biden in that room. Y'all, I talked to a friend of mine who works for Joe Biden the other day, and he said their entire strategy right now is to keep Joe Biden from getting in the room with Kevin McCarthy. It is by design because they know if he does, he will probably concede to cuts. Now, they blame the Republicans. They say it's crazy Republicans. They shouldn't do it. They didn't want to do it when Trump was president. But you know what? Nancy Pelosi, when Donald Trump was president, refused to do a clean debt ceiling increase. That's right. When the debt ceiling had to be increased with Nancy Pelosi, she pinned a letter to um, to Trump and said, clean debt ceiling, not in the table, not in the cards. you got to make some cuts or raise taxes. That was Pelosi. Said she couldn't get the votes for a clean debt ceiling increase. My, my, how the tables have turned. They're going to have to do something. They are going to have to make some cuts. This is Chip Roy again. Republicans have been promising to cut spending and shrink the federal government for decades, and our track record has been beyond pathetic. The debt ceiling is an opportunity for my colleagues to stand up and fight to keep the promises we made when we got elected. Enough talk, enough lip service, enough promises. It's time to take action to radically re-empower the American people, unleash our economy, and pull this country back from self-imposed decline. Now is the time for bold action rooted in the vision of our founders. We can do that by shrinking Washington to grow America. That's the House Freedom Caucus position. Interestingly enough, the Main Street Partnership or the liberal Republicans, they agree with the House Freedom Caucus on this which means Joe Biden has no wiggle room for negotiation and is going to have to take some cuts. He probably better start thinking about what he wants to cut. Did you know China's made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy is not taught in our elementary schools. In fact, it's not taught really in school at all. And parents like the resources to teach it at home, so our kids are being left behind when it comes to financial sense. But there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance. Thanks to The Sensibles and BeSensibleSmart.com. The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 through 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. BeSensibleSmart.com was created to channel the multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, a comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are even available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. If you want 20% off the monthly subscription, go to be, go to BeSensibleSmart.com, enter the promo code ERIC. That's B-E, like the word B, 
Cent, C-E-N-T, S-A-B-L-E, smart.com. Be sensible smart. Instead of cent like the, with the S, it's cent like the penny as a cent, dollars and cents. So you go to besensiblesmart.com. You put in the promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. You get $20 off the monthly subscription. It's for your kids or grandkids, age 6 or 12, 6 through 12, to learn early financial management skills that will help them for a lifetime. Sensible. Be sensible. Besensiblesmart.com. Go subscribe today. Start your kids on a lifetime of good financial management. Put them ahead of, well, a lot of people, including people like me. Howdy. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number. Well, why am I giving you? It's the end of the show. Can't give you the phone number, but I can give you some cell phone data. This is really, really fascinating. Uh, This is from Carl uh, Quintanilla at CNBC. Data from downtowns show that cell phone activity in San Francisco is at 31% of pre-pandemic levels. New York is at 74%. Chicago's at 50%. Boston's at 54%. Uh, it's got implications for retail, restaurants, offices. Now, what does that mean? It means that um, you got a massive drop-off in people in downtown San Francisco. Uh, they're just not there. It, it is the largest. Um, Salt Lake City is at 135% of cell phone activity. That includes not just talking on phone, but data usage. Salt Lake City has more people on cell phones in downtown Salt Lake City today than they did in 2020, or no, no, 2019. Um, Bakersfield, California, Fresno, California, El Paso, Texas, San Diego, they're all at about 100% or higher of cell phone usage in, in cities. It's, it's really fascinating when you look at um, Cleveland, Portland, Oregon, and San Francisco, all areas that have had crime issues, among other things, in the last couple of years, they are at um, 37 to 31%, San Francisco being the lowest in the nation, the number of people who just aren't there anymore to be on cell phones. It's not like they've given up their cell phones. It's it, What's notable as well is a lot of the high crime areas are areas that have seen significant collapse. But uh, Washington and New York, are both down about a quarter of usage, uh, down to 74%, 73%, respectively, of their usage. Las Vegas, down 79%. Tucson, Arizona, 81%. Now, that doesn't mean they've fallen 80% in Tucson, for example. It means they're they're down, for example, 20-ish percent from where they were uh, pre-pandemic, which means they've lost people – Maybe working from home now, they're not coming into the city downtown, they're not coming into offices, but they're probably there. When you get down to a place like San Francisco, which is all the way down to 31%, is staggering. Um, Now, where is Miami? Where is Miami? Now, according to this, Miami is 169, or is 69%, so... Basically, you're down from 100% down to 69% cell phone usage. Uh, I've actually had several people tell me that data was misinterpreted on the graph. Uh, It was actually much higher than um, 100%. You've got more people in downtown Miami now. Uh, Miami was actually down about, or actually about 125%, which means there's 25% more people 
using cell phones now in downtown Miami than there were in 2019 before the pandemic started. You see where people have moved. You see the great clustering of people. Florida has exploded with uh, people going to Florida economically. And that, of course, translates then into 2024 politics. You have this many people who moved to Florida who realized, you know, contrary to what Trump said the other day, uh, DeSantis has not run the state into the ground. He's actually done a very good job in the state. And the result is going to be, of course, those people vote and lock Florida in for the Republicans in the Electoral College if DeSantis is the nominee, probably for Trump as well but definitely for DeSantis. And the national polling still shows Joe Biden underperforming everyone other than Donald Trump on the right. So the question for the GOP is, how suicidal are you when it comes to picking your 2024 nominee? More on that tomorrow. You guys have a great rest of the day.